Good evening. Good evening. Join me in a word of prayer. Spirit of the living God, you are invited into this place. You have been in this place, and you reside in this place. Pray that you'll give clarity of word, understanding in the ears, and opening of hearts. Where my will is, I pray your will will be done. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we draw closer to Holy Week, we anticipate Palm Sunday coming up this Sunday, followed by Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and the culmination being Easter Sunday. As a child growing up in Germany, I remembered that Easter was one of my uh, favorite holidays. I recall getting dressed in my Sunday's finest. At the time, my family and I were Catholic. We would attend Mass. The smell of incense would fill the entire church, and the congregation would participate in the Passion narrative and hymns such as Jesus Christ is Risen Today. I remember the bright colors of pink, salmon, sky blue, and having Easter egg hunts. And I remember each year my family and I would watch Cecil DeMille's classic film, The Ten Commandments, starring Charleston Heston. Yes. At that time, I was more into movies like Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and in spite of the lack of intergalactic starships or thrilling action scenes, I was still enthralled at this movie by the time I was six, seven years old. One of the scenes that stuck out for me was when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he was holding the Ten Commandments and all the people were partying like it was 1999. <laughs> and he took the Ten Commandments and he threw it at what was the central piece, which was a golden calf, symbolic of the people's idolatry and their rebellion. So it is with great irony this morning that when Pam read the scripture that God chose to heal the people with a bronze snake. And we should question, well, why would God do that? Why would he instruct Moses to erect a bronze serpent, in essence, an idol for which the people were to be healed by? And the answer is, nobody knows. (laughs) Scholars have ideas and they have all types of theories, but nobody really knows. And although we don't know, hopefully, as we dive into this text, we can explore why God chose such a profane and unorthodox manner in which to heal his people, which will hopefully give us some better understanding about God and better understanding about ourselves. The Hebrew people were in bondage for 400 years, and God set them free through plagues and, of course, the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. But before they were able to go into the Promised Land, they first had to go through the wilderness If you ever see a map of ancient Palestine, this was actually not the most convenient route. Going from Egypt to Canaan Canaan, was actually a straight shot west to east. But under the leadership of Moses, directed by God, they went south, then southeast, then north, and then proceeded to go around in circles in the wilderness. So it's no wonder after year 37, 38, 39, people were beginning to wonder, Moses... Have you brought us out to this wilderness to die? Forty years of wandering. I turned 44 this year. 
So for my nephew and niece who are teenagers, I'm an old man, and to my parents, I'm a young boy. But as they say, I look young though, so that's a blessing, right? As they say, black doesn't crack and Asian don't raisin. <laughs> but if you're not black or Asian, you don't, probably don't, don't, go. <laughs> don't leave that one alone. One of the things I notice about getting older, besides the fact that I get things like tendinitis now, is that I have a tendency to become more cynical with life. When I was younger, I was much more idealistic. I was filled with passion and enthusiasm about changing the world. Yet as the years go by, the cynicism of life threatens to overwhelm me. The redundancy of each day is only broken up by the occasional vacation or the latest movie or the latest book or the internet or drugs or alcohol or sex or food or shopping or working or overworking anything to numb us from the latest headline, headlines about squabbling in the government around race or gender or what's going on in Hollywood, more warnings about global warming or the latest strain of COVID, wars, rumors of wars, mass shootings, local shootings, and all of these factors compounded externally and internally leave me in the desert looming with depression, addiction, and crippling anxiety. I long to return to the desert of Egypt, the Egypt of my youth, a time when my responsibilities were assigned to me by authority figures. When the Israelites were in Egypt, they couldn't wait to leave Egypt. When they left Egypt, they wanted to go back. When I was young, I couldn't wait to get older. Now that I'm older, I look back at my youth. How I would gladly exchange the independence and autonomy that comes with my age for the ignorance of a carefree youth. As I grow older, I'm more aware of my mortality and drowning in the wilderness of American excess and consumer culture, while 2.3 billion people around the globe will wonder how or if they'll eat tonight, I will be scrolling through Netflix wondering what I'll watch next. A study by Just Facts that looked at data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis and World Bank showed that if the poorest 20% of Americans were a nation, they would still be one of the richest countries in the world. The poorest 20% of Americans would still be one of the richest countries in the world. Yet, because we live in a country where the 90% have so much more than the 10%, it's easy to be unaware of the massive amount of advantages we have which is not to imply that America is without flaws, but rather to point out that the poor in America are still way better off than many people across the globe. So in our stride towards economic justice, social justice, racial justice, ecological justice, we should still be humbled by the reality of our own privilege. Everything from my smartphone to my clothes to access to healthcare, the ease with which I get my food, the fact that I have running water, all points to things that I should be grateful for and not complain about, yet complain I do. <laughs> and there's minor complaints, being frustrated at work, sneezing every second from the pollen, being put on hold for customer service when I just wanna to talk to a human being on the phone, and these are the minor complaints. But what about the major complaints? The true wounds and snake bites of life 
in which we don't like to talk about. Well, God, where were you when I was exposed to pornography when I was young? And where were you, God, when I was but a teenager and exposed to alcohol and drugs and couldn't handle the peer pressure? Where were you, God, when I was bullied or dealing with family issues or going through divorce? And now all of this exposure to addictive behavior and abuse has led to a stunted growth, aimlessly wandering in the wilderness of life, asking God, have you left me here to die, to go through the motions of life without truly ever being alive? And now the very serpent that you allowed into the garden, the very serpent that you allowed to bite me, the very serpent you're asking me to look to for a healing. What a theological conundrum. It's worth remembering that Jesus also did some really weird healings, right? We know about laying on hands and we're okay with that. And we know about Jesus speaking to demons and them fleeing. But in Mark chapter 7, Jesus decides to spit on a man's, in a man's ears and on his tongue for his healing. The ears might be okay, but I might have said, hold on, Jesus, with the tongue. I don't know about that one. Or how about in John chapter 9, where Jesus uses so much saliva and so much split that spit that he's able to have mud, put it in somebody's eye, and that's the way that he chose to heal that man. In fact, he had to use so much saliva that he was able to make the mud, and he did it twice because the first time it didn't work. Peculiar, profane, unorthodox healings. And again, we really don't know why. We just have theories about it. But there is something in common between the bronze serpent and the use of mud for healing. And that is sometimes God uses profane things in life to bring about healings. Jesus says, just as as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up in order that everyone who has faith in him has eternal life. In his writings to the Corinthians, Paul says, God made him who had no sin, him who had no lust, no stealing, no greed, no backbiting. He who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And although I don't identify as an evangelical anymore, I do think that they have something figured out that us mainline Christians still try to wrestle with. And that is when I'm struggling to pay my bills, when I'm trying to make ends meet, if I'm struggling with addiction or sickness or death, then I'm really not interested in the latest theological view on the socio-political climate and Christology. Rather, I need to know if there's a God, and if there is, can that God hear me and do something about my situation? But the amazing thing is, even if he slays me, yet will I trust in him. The Amplified Version says, even though he kills me, yet my hope is in him. That's a different type of faith. Sometimes we forget that Christianity was built on a religion found on the blood of martyrs. And we've become so accustomed to our religion that it takes people who are non-religious in order to help us understand how utterly profane our religion is. As Christians, it takes those who are non-Christian to ask us about our faith to understand how profane it is. 
In other words, if somebody asks you about being a Christian, asks me about being a Christian, I might respond by saying, well, I believe in a man who claimed to be the son of God, was executed as a criminal, his body went missing, and all of his followers said that he was raised from the dead, and then all of his followers were executed. And in order to honor him each, each week, I drink his blood and eat his flesh. Symbolically, unless you're Catholic, then it's literally. It's an utterly preposterous and profane religion filled with broken rationale and broken logic. However, the preacher Vance Havener says God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop. It takes broken clouds to give rain. It takes broken grains to give bread. And it takes broken bread in order to give strength. And I thank God for that because I am aware of how broken I am, which is why this call is such a struggle for me. And I'm very grateful to have gone to Oral Roberts University, one of the top schools in the charismatic community, and to have studied with James Cone at Union Seminary, and to have gone to Emory University in Atlanta, and now to be going to the prestigious Virginia Theological Seminary in Alexandria. Yet in spite of all of these academic achievements, I still suffer from the wounds of the snake bites. And all the degrees in the world won't help me heal from my scars. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? But I do thank God because the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. For every hill that I've had to climb, and for every stone that bruised my feet, for all the blood and the sweat and the grime, from blinding storms and burning heat, my heart sings but a grateful song, for these were the things that made me strong. And for all the heartache and tears, all the anguish and pain for gloomy days and fruitless years for hopes that I have not lived in vain I do give thanks for now I know that these were the things that helped me grow <laughs>